Okay, we're live. Um, sorry for the slightly delay, everyone. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Here we are with another episode of our weekly recap at The Defiant. I'm Camila Russo, the founder. Uh, we have Alex here, staff reporter, YYC trader, head of news. Um, and yeah, thanks everyone. Um, so this week uh, started with the fallout of the banking crisis in the US where three major banks failed in less than a week. Uh, and this caused major pain for crypto startups and also for stable coins. Um, there was also uh, the long awaited Arbitrum drop and uh, a $200 million hack of Euler Finance, one of the biggest in DeFi history. Um, and then a bunch of uh, technical uh, news, the biggest one being the Ethereum Chapella upgrade um chapella right uh, and this uh, this up uh, this is a huge step towards allowing uh, stakers and uh, of the ethereum network to withdraw their eth so um let's get to it and let's start with the um fallout of the banking crisis uh, which alex covered uh, very well this week yeah i, I mean where do I even start, right? Like so much has happened on the banking front. Um, and the main takeaway right now is just that crypto firms in the United States, um, they're having trouble accessing banking services. The Their top bank folded last week, Silvergate. Their second favorite bank signature was seized by the New York uh, Department of Financial Services on Sunday for reasons that seem kind of sketchy to a couple of people and Silicon Valley bank last Friday, uh, also folded. Uh, it was known to bank crypto companies, one of them being circle. And we can talk about the fallout there over the last weekend. Um, but you know, one can argue that these are the collectively the three, uh, top banking partners for the industry. And, uh, given the fact that regulators right now are, making life hard for crypto companies to say the least um it seems as though there are going to be few companies that are willing to jump in to fill the void that's been left by by all of this right so um spoke to a professor of banking over at the university of alabama um and uh, one of the things that she mentioned to me is not just that firms might hesitate to bank crypto partners because you know, they, they fear uh, regulatory pressure, but also there are a lot of crypto companies now that have a lot of money and they're looking for a place to put that money. Um, banks, they can't just take all of that in all at once. I mean, they need to scale up. They, they need to, there's a lot of stuff that happens on the back end that folks might not see. And that's not something that they can do overnight. So even if they, if, you know, some random regional bank in the country wanted to do this, it can't really not not today it would take some time um and you know we're seeing we're seeing firms look overseas for bank partners right now so uh one of the things that i highlighted in that story uh highlighted also by a, a note to a jp morgan investors in one of their uh, uh research papers that they distributed is the fact that um some companies in the uk now are getting ready to offer US dollar denominated services to any crypto company that feels like it can't do business over here anymore. Um, 
on a related front, the the bank issues have been referred to as a coordinated assault on crypto from the Biden administration, an attempt to to systematically choke off its access to the traditional finance world. Um, the Blockchain Association, probably the biggest lobbying group on crypto's behalf in Washington, D.C., uh, they've been banging that drum for a couple of weeks now, but acknowledged earlier this week that so far that theory that this is a coordinated effort is really just speculation. It seems that way. You know, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. But we we don't know for sure. And so they've solicited um, uh, stories from crypto firms that have been having trouble uh, getting access to to new bank accounts or crypto firms that have had bank accounts that were then closed without uh, warning or explanation. They've also sent uh, open records request to the banking regulators, the FDIC, the Fed, and the OCC, looking for evidence that this is actually something that they've been doing on the back end, right? Like going to banks and saying, hey, we don't want you to touch crypto companies anymore. Because that, I mean, that's illegal, right? This is, uh, it's a legal industry. Um, Cam, you're muted. Yeah, I mean, basically, if if it's true, these, uh, allegations on, on speculation is true. There, there would be discriminating an entire industry with no real, you know, basis uh, for doing that. That would be a scandal because they've they've even said these very banking regulators have said, you know, crypto is risky. We really warn you, banks. Uh, you know, be careful if you ever want to to dabble in this industry or work with these companies. But we're not saying that you can't, you know, that that would be illegal. You know, we're not this isn't meant to be taken as a you can't do business with them. And so if it were true that that like on one hand, they're telling people, oh, you can still do business with them. But on the other, they're saying, but really, you shouldn't. Then, I mean, that, that'd be huge. Yeah. Um, and, and just taking a step back, the reason why there's this speculation now and this FOIA request was sent now was because, um, so, you know, over the, the past week, uh, three there, there were three bank failures. The first one was uh, Silvergate, uh, which, you know, had issues with uh, its balance sheet. Then um, SVB came next, Silicon Valley Bank. Um, similar issues, you know, it, it, it took uh, investments that, in, in U.S. Treasuries, um, where they they didn't expect uh, rates to rise so quickly, uh, and then you know uh, there was a, a, a kind of mismatch of, of assets. They went to raise capital. People were spooked uh, about that, and that kind of spurred, uh, sparked a, a run on the bank, which um, it just uh, it was this kind of domino effect that ended up in regulators taking over. And then over the weekend, uh, Signature was the third bank to fall. And, and that's where I think the, the the main source of this speculation stems from, right? It's the fact that Signature um, apparently had, a, had enough, you know, was their balance sheet was strong enough to, to sustain uh, operations, but they were told 
from regulators that they still had to shut down. And the speculation there is that they, they, they were pressured to do this because they uh, service uh, many crypto companies uh, and, and startups. So that's kind of what um, this, uh, this investigation uh, wants to get to the bottom of, I think. Yeah, and Barney Frank, he's a former congressman, a Democrat from Massachusetts, uh, crypto skeptic as well. He was on the board of Signature Bank, and he's been giving plenty of interviews over the past week where he says, yeah, just like you said, right? Look, our our balance sheet was healthy. Yes, there was a run on our deposits, and it was, in fact, sparked by crypto irrationally, he believes, because uh, some of their other customers, most of their customers weren't in the crypto industry, and those that weren't were worried about the bank's affiliation with crypto and started withdrawing their money on Friday. Bank executives apparently were confident they could weather that run. Uh, but the New York Department of Financial Services, they claim that uh, data that the bank was giving them was irregular or faulty or otherwise untrustworthy in some way. And they felt like they had to take control of the bank and depose its leadership. And, and Frank has been telling anybody who will listen that he thinks they did this really to make an example of the bank for having done business with crypto. Yeah, um, and it's it's just, uh, you know, another another example of how how hard it's becoming to operate as a crypto business in the US. So um, one kind of uh, example of this is the, the company behind True USD moved a billion of its reserves offshore after this um and uh, you know this is just one example of what i i think probably many other crypto uh, companies are looking to do uh, after uh, you know all of the regulatory actions and then the major banks servicing the industry failing um and the lack of alternatives uh, for crypto companies um i don't know where uh, there was this quote here, uh, I think that said like, there, there. Okay, so the executive at True USD said, um, "I doubt you would have seen anything like uh, this turmoil if companies like ours would have been allowed to bank with Citi or JP Morgan." So I, I, I thought that was a, a really great quote. It's like, there's this, you know, three banks that took risky bets um, that service the crypto industry. And when they failed, uh, crypto was left with very few alternatives for banking because uh, other larger banks, more stable banks, won't even have them as clients. Um, so, you know, uh, this we've talked about this before, but it's, it's just, I think, a very poor uh, strategic decision by the U.S., uh, which will drive this really uh, high growth industry elsewhere um, and then to to move on to another you know interesting fallout for crypto is what happened to uh, stable coins uh, because of these bank failures um, I think well let's uh, take a step back so um, what was the story that we did USDC uh, USDC be pegged uh, or I should say traded below its one dollar peg uh, over the weekend because um circle the the company issuing uh usdc um held i think how much was it uh 
I don't remember the exact figure. But... I think it was like 8% of their reserves backing USDC uh, were, uh, were in. Yeah, it was 3.3 billion. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that was held in. Um, in signature, I believe, or wait, no, in Silicon SVD. Valley Bank. And yeah, yeah, in Silicon Valley were, Bank. Yeah, it, like it, in the event that they couldn't get access to that money, USDC would have become effectively uh, under collateralized. Right. And the it, it's actually surprising to me, like the traders responded so aggressively that it actually fell. Like if if it's eight percent of, of of its reserves, like. You know, one would think the lowest it could trade at would be 92 cents on the dollar, but it actually plunged even below that. It was like 84, 88% or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, There there was just so much confusion over over the weekend on, you know, how much exactly was Circle holding in in Silicon Valley Bank um, and and what would happen to those assets. Uh, I mean... Last weekend was absolutely crazy. Like it, it started out with, um, with first uh, Silvergate, then Silicon Valley Bank failing that Friday. All of the bank stocks crashed that day. Then uh, the news came out that Circle had money in in Silicon Valley Bank. The stablecoin started to depeg over the weekend. Uh, you know, unlike traditional markets, crypto does trade over the weekend. So, you know. Everyone holding USDC reserves, like most crypto startups, I, I think, or projects, uh, were kind of frantically figuring out or trying to decide kind of what to do with their USDC as it uh, depegged. Um, and meanwhile, their bank accounts were, were being shut, and you know, uh, it was hard to know whether they'd be able to access cash to make payroll on Monday. Uh, it was a, a, a crazy, crazy weekend. Um, in the end, everything kind of resolved. Uh, uh, well, uh, Jeremy Allaire, uh, uh, Circle CEO, came out saying that whatever happened, uh, Circle would stand by USDC and uh, the stablecoin would be redeemable at one-to-one on Monday. So that uh, caused the, the USDC to trade closer to the peg. Um, and then basically what happened is that uh, regulators stepped in um, and uh, and made sure that all depositors of Silicon Valley Bank would be made 100% whole, um, same with uh, other banks. So in the end, it, it was like, it, it seemed like there would be a huge kind of financial crisis that would be kind of unfalling over the weekend and then everything was resolved by monday so it was a really kind of roller coaster uh, time i don't know yeah, yeah. I seen that in a while good time to trade usdc <laughs> yeah yeah no kidding you, you you could have made a, a nice profit there yeah i mean there was a lot of panic um one unfortunate trader i'm sure the example's gone around a lot he in his um, desperation to get out of USDC, he ended up trading near over $2 million of uh, Curve LP tokens for $0.05 cents of Tether. Because um, uh, what happened was instead of withdrawing liquidity from Curve directly, uh, which would have 
he would probably take the loss six, seven, eight percent tops. Um, he tried to swap his LP tokens on a DEX, and somewhere out there there was a uh, Uniswap V2, an old old pool, uh, which had like two dollars of liquidity in it. I mean, obviously it was just dust; it had been left behind. But somehow his trade managed to get rooted through that pool, and um, as soon as that happened. Um, a very enterprising bot went and uh, drained the uh, LP tokens back out of that pool, right? Because there's always people watching for these uh, imbalanced pools and whatnot. But yeah, there was a lot of panic for sure. And uh, it kind of shook confidence, I think, in USDC to some extent, uh, even though it was resolved over a couple of days. Um, I feel like, um, and we're seeing that in the market too, right? Where uh, Tether of all things, after all the FUD and, uh, you know, doubt that's uh, been thrown at it over the years, uh, who would have thought it would have been the stablecoin that emerged rock solid through all the turmoil of the last year? Um, so, yeah, so uh, it's uh, circulating supply has gone up, I think, by 10% over the last week. So it's absorbed all the uh, people who were abandoning USDC, DAI, FRAX, and uh, everything else. It was it was really crazy. Uh, it's so ironic to see Tether be become kind of their preferred, uh, at least like fiat backed uh, stablecoin coming out of this. Like for for so long, there was this you know kind of uh, fear looming over crypto that Tether was the black swan. And because of the lack of transparency and, and just, you know, the the concern about the 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 reserves back in USDT, that it would be the one to depeg and kind of take crypto down with it. Uh, but you know, it's it's gone through so many investigations and um, and crackdowns and and crisis, and it remains standing. So it's pretty crazy to see that USDC is, was the one to kind of have issues. Um, but we also saw, so USDT uh, came out uh, stronger, but also uh, Liquidy, LUSD, uh, which is one of the only or few stable coins that are backed 100% by crypto, by, by ETH in, in this case. So you either had two options as a stablecoin holder. You could go to another fiat-backed stablecoin, which you thought was uh, less risky than, than USDC. So, you know, that's uh, maybe Tether, maybe Paxos uh, stablecoin. Or you could go to a more decentralized stablecoin that doesn't rely on having assets in a bank. And liquidity is, I think, right now the 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 strongest option or, or at least the, the the larger one uh like, like the, the largest crypto backed stable coin so um lusd market cap also jumped uh, because of all this so you had kind of those those uh two uh alternatives to usdc um and it i think like it was um saying it, it was remarkable that die kind of didn't uh didn't 
benefit from from all this. Um, and I think it it kind of shows a, a, a missed opportunity for Dai uh, because because like so much of Dai is backed by USDC itself. Um, in the end, I think many holders are wondering kind of what's the value prop of holding Dai right now. If it's backed by USDC, why not hold USDC uh, instead of taking this kind of mixed risk of ETH plus right. USDC? I would, you know, just hold USDC. If you want like a fully decentralized stablecoin, I'll go for Liquidity, who is like actually only backed by ETH. So I think right now Dai is put in this um, odd position where it's it's not like fully one thing or the other. It's like it's not committing to be like fully fiat regulated stablecoin and it's not committing to be fully decentralized crypto back. So yeah, I don't think it's in a good place. Yeah, and I'll just note uh, one of the folks uh, leaving comments here, Hikikomori uh, noted Rise an option if we're talking about mm -hmm. decentralized stable coins. Rise yeah. is quite different from from LUSD, but but it's another option. I actually just checked, and their market cap has also shot up over uh, over the past two weeks. Oh, interesting. Um, so it looks like some people are going there as well. Um, also brought up the fact that I'm sorry. Go ahead, YYC. Uh, we had uh, true USD as well. That's kind of picked up in the last month. I think mm -hmm. uh, uh, rumor has it that um, Binance with, you know, their BUSD issues are pushing uh, this one, uh, TUSD as a potential alternative because two two things that were noticed. One, Binance minted about $150 million worth of uh, TUSD, I think was last week or so. And uh, yesterday they announced um, zero trading fees for Bitcoin and ETH pairs with TUSD. So that would encourage, uh, you know, users to trade that pair, right? So, um, yeah, could be could be related. Yeah, so, I mean, lots of options. And we have this uh, video here detailing all the different categories of stablecoins. Uh, it's a great one, so I uh, recommend it. Um, and yeah, just I'm seeing here in the comments, um, just to clarify that LUSD uh, is uh, over collateralized by, by ETH. Um, so the, yeah, the, the idea is that even if ETH is, is volatile and, and, and moves uh, above or, beyond or below, a certain price that there, the over collateralization um, allows it to uh, maintain enough uh, enough assets to uh, to back the stablecoin uh, and have it uh, you know uh, stick to the the one dollar peg. Um, and then Rye is is really interesting. Uh, I just find it tough to to use something that doesn't have like a a peg to anything like it's pegged to itself like uh, it's like volatility and stability uh, relies on on how it moves re relative to itself like not to anything else so it's yeah it's it's um, a bit different but a really super kind of interesting decentralized uh, stablecoin alternative as well um so moving moving on from stable coins because there were a, a few other really big news this week 
Um, well, actually, before going going to Arbitrum, uh, because this is more linked to what what happened uh, over the weekend, why was it? Do you want to talk about uh, market reaction? Yeah, sure. Um, so obviously we had the drama over the weekend with USDC pegging and uh, we saw Bitcoin and ETH kind of um, correct a bit as well. It wasn't like any of the major uh, crashes we've seen. It was maybe six, seven percent um, as the markets kind of waited to see what happened. And then we got the news that the regulators, the Fed, the FDIC, and um, I believe one more, came out with a joint statement saying that, yes, we're going to backstop these failed banks. Everyone will get their money on Monday. And that kicked off uh, a rally in the markets. So we had uh, all the DeFi protocols that uh, got hit initially um, reverse and leave the sector higher. So we had Maker, which was... Uh, which crashed, I think, 25%. The previous day was up more than 35 33%. And then uh, Synthetics, uh, Lido, uh, basically the biggest losers took back uh, those losses. right? And then later on in the week, we had uh, um, uh, expectations for the next rate hike kind of being tempered by the market, given the whole banking crisis that's uh, been... I don't want to say crisis because I don't think it's quite there yet. But um, yeah, just the fears around the banking sector in the U.S. Um, so uh, initially, uh, everyone was uh, quite certain that we'd get a, a 50 basis point hike uh, at the coming meeting. Right. But um, uh, given the recent events, uh, that's completely been turned on its head. And now uh, it's pretty much a little better than a coin flip between uh, uh, no change and 25 basis points. So on the back of that, we saw crypto uh, kind of take the next leg up. So we had Bitcoin uh, hit 27K almost earlier today. And uh, ETH as well back above 1700 uh, after, the lo lo after a long time. Um, so yeah, that was uh, the reaction from the market. So it seems like it was basically a bear trap over the weekend with the whole USDC uh, uh, de-pegging and all that. And then, yeah, um, markets started rallying as soon as we opened on Monday. Yeah, 30% in a week for Bitcoin. That's quite, uh, that's not something we've seen in a long time. Yeah. You're muted again. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, related to Bitcoin, interesting to see that it um, outperformed everything else. Uh, and I don't know if that's because the, the whole kind of bank failures highlighted Bitcoin's original value prop uh, of, of being this uh, kind of black swan protection um, asset, this digital gold. Um, when everything really is um, failing and, and you have nowhere to, to put your assets and even stable coins are suspect, uh, I think Bitcoin is, uh, is, is coming out uh, stronger because, you know, it, it, it is seen as the 
um, the safest place within crypto. Like it's obviously the original uh, cryptocurrency, largest uh, market cap, uh, most liquid. Uh, so maybe, you know, after all, all the craziness, people are opting to, uh, to buy Bitcoin. Um, I believe also uh, Bitcoin dominance is at some sort of of high as well. Uh, yeah, highest since June of yeah. last year. So nine month high. Oh, wait, where is this chart? Dominance. Yep. This looks different. Let's see. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, so Bitcoin is, is is another winner out of this mini crisis. It's really interesting to see. Um, okay, and then now uh, now we can go to Arbitrum, the other kind of big DeFi story of the week. Uh, so Arbitrum announced its long-awaited airdrop. Uh, Alex, you covered the story. Yeah, so um, Ethereum is slow. Ethereum is expensive for ethereum to actually be uh, a technology that can uh, support this new financial world it has to become faster it has to become a lot cheaper and the the path forward is through roll-ups i mean that that is the plan um, the biggest roll-up today is arbitrum it has the most users it has the most deposits um most activity last i checked uh, it has about 55 percent of uh, the layer two market share according to l2 beat so people have been waiting for an arbitrum token for a long time and the team has been really quiet about when it would drop and sometimes whether there would even be one right um it's it's big news it's you know every time there's an airdrop it's it's like a, an injection of stimulus into the crypto economy right it's basically a lot of people getting free money kind of and um i mean i'm not going to speculate as to how much this token is going to be trading for a day or a week after launch but arbitrum has a stellar reputation within the crypto community i mean the, the technology is solid um it you know it's got a lot of users and so um uh, this is i mean and i guess to back up a little bit to be clear it's not just about money it's not just about sending people tokens that they're going to be able to dump on on the next person who comes along it's the real story here is that arbitrum is uh decentralizing in launching this token and distributing among people who've used the protocol the founding team investors and a newly formed dao uh, the founding team is handing control of the protocol and the underlying technology to the community, um, to the people who have the token. The token confers voting rights, governance power over Arbitrum. Um, so it's going to go from being a, you know, a platform that is controlled by the company that built it into a platform that's controlled by the, by the people who hold its token. Um, the the distribution of the of the airdrop is as follows about more than 40 percent about 42 percent is going to go to the newly formed dao 
Another 25%, roughly one quarter, is going to go to current and future members of the off-chain labs team. That's the company that built Arbitrum. About 20% or one-fifth is going to go to investors. A little more than 11% is going to go to people who've used Arbitrum before February 6th. Uh, and you know the amount of tokens that you get uh, it will depend on you know how much money you put into Arbitrum, how many trades you executed, that kind of stuff. And then a little more than 1% is going to go to the other DAOs that already exist within the Arbitrum ecosystem. So um, technically speaking, the people who built Arbitrum will still have the most power because they'll have about a quarter of, of the tokens and, and the voting rights. Uh, although the, the news release announcing the, uh, the token airdrop pointed out that they've been instructed um not sure exactly what that means but they've been instructed to delegate their voting power so that uh you know they won't be influencing uh any votes on the direction of arbitrum directly in addition to the token drop arbitrum also announced this thing called arbitrum orbit it's essentially a, a support for any team that's looking to build a layer three blockchain on top of Arbitrum, right? So for Ethereum to get cheaper and faster, you need layer two blockchains or rollups like Arbitrum and Optimism. Um, but those two will eventually hit their capacity for the number of transactions they can process. And so uh, Arbitrum is saying, hey, if you want to help us scale, if you want to build an L3, you can do so permissionlessly. Here's a set of tools uh, to help you do that. So it's a big day for the for the protocol. It's, it's growing up and getting thrust out into the world. Yeah, and just uh, for, for context, Arbitrum um, is, a, you know, the the most, like the, the largest layer two uh, right now, uh, according to L2Beat. Uh, it has 3.7 billion in, in PBL. Um, as Alex mentioned, is uh, using a optimistic rollup uh, technology. Um, we've talked about before how um, there's this kind of fight between CK rollups and optimistic rollups, and there's um, many CK rollups coming to the market, uh, being launched right now. Everyone's fighting over who's first. Um, and so it remains to be seen whether optimistic rollups or CK rollup tech uh, wins out. Um, uh, like which will be better scaling technology, but right now, uh, opti optimistic the optimistic kind of, of rollup that flavor uh, has a head start. Like it was just uh, live first uh, before CK the, the CK flavor, um, and uh, yeah, I think um, you know every like the whole purpose of of crypto is to be censorship resistant and decentralized so i think it was important for the ecosystem as a whole uh, that their most used like the biggest l2 was actually decentralized and not controlled by um a single company by off-chain labs in, in this case so yeah huge huge stay uh, uh, with arbitrum decentralizing to uh, token holders um of course you know the usual uh, caveats um on-chain governance DAO uh, governance is less than perfect in the end it's like whales 
a, a few whales end up uh, making all the decisions. There's a lot of voter apathy, not a lot of uh, participation by token holders. So how, you know, actually decentralized uh, Arbitrum ends up being, we'll, we'll have to see, but, um, you know, so far, the DAO governance hasn't been actually a very decentralized. So that's something that the space uh, still needs to figure out. Uh, but it's still a, a step in the right direction, I think. Yeah, I mean, another criticism has been about the centralized sequencer, right, that these uh, optimistic rollups use, uh, at least currently. Like those are controlled. See, the sequencer basically is the one that um, orders the transactions uh, in that go into each, I don't what are they called? Roll up blocks before they get uh, finalized, right? So, um, even before they launch a token or whatever, that I think that's uh, something that is in the roadmap but hasn't happened yet. So, like you said, it's first step towards decentralization. Um, so we'll have to see how that how it plays out. Yeah, um... and something that I, mm -hmm. I th yeah. think is noteworthy is. Um, when you vote uh, in the Arbitrum DAO, the votes will be self-executing. So uh, typically today, when when a DAO votes on something, that doesn't then automatically happen on chain. Uh, somebody else has to kind of execute the will of the DAO. So that's that's one thing that I know that the team was excited to highlight with this release. Okay, yeah, got it. And um, I think uh, something else to look out for will be whether activity really kind of drops off uh, after the airdrop. You know, as as we've seen before in in many projects with um, with tokens rumored to be issued, uh, there's this spike in activity and building and you know excitement in the months uh, leading up to to the actual airdrop and then you know activity then kind of falls off and liquidity falls off because people have already gotten their reward so that's something to look look out for like um, is all this tvl on arbitrum uh, just you know people waiting to farm the token uh, or is it kind of legitimate activity i mean the, i think there'll be a natural movement to the next farm right because we have to search for the next the next airdrop i mean there are so many on the that's, way right? that's There's, so healthy you know that's yeah. just the way things <laughs> should, I mean, should just work off the top of my head we have starknet zk sync sui scroll all these people are going eventually going to launch tokens so and they have either have test nets or i think very limited main nets running so yeah still time to kind of get your ducks in a row now that arbitrum is done and by the way, if you want the full list of potential airdrops, you need to subscribe to DeFi Alpha, the weekly newsletter that YYC Trader and DeFi Dad uh, publish. It's, it's just really literally the best source of Alpha, as the newsletter name says. So subscribe if you, if you haven't. Um, so yeah, I uh, hope everyone listening got their uh, ARB tokens uh, airdropped. Uh, and is you know uh, is going to be an active participant in in governance and, and uh, be 
you know, uh, working towards layer two decentralization. Um, moving to the next big story, uh, one of the biggest hacks in, in DeFi happened this week with uh, Euler. Uh, YWC, do you want to go through what happened? Is is it Euler or Euler? Oh, probably Euler. I, I'm, I, probably, I'm not yeah. saying that it is Euler because <laughs> I go into interviews and each time I speak to somebody about this, I say, so tell me what happened with Euler. And they're like, well, so what happened with Euler is, and I'm like, okay, I said it wrong. And then the next interview, so tell me what happened with Euler. And they're like, well, so what happened with Euler is, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> I have no anyway. idea. Maybe it's, it, 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 I have, maybe it's like, if, if it's Euler, is it like a German name? I, yeah, I, I declare my ignorance on this. So if I'm pronouncing it wrong, very sorry, Euler or Euler, but it was exploited. Um, <laughs> it was a huge hack for 200 million. So that's, that's the, what you need to know, basically. <laughs> so this was a big one, actually. Um, so this team, uh, we're going to stick with Euler for this call. So then mm -hmm. uh, if we get corrected, we can switch it up next time. Um, Euler is a, is a lending protocol similar to um, Aave or Compound. You know, it allows you to borrow, uh, deposit certain assets and borrow against those assets, right? And uh, it's a, it's been quite uh, well regarded and just... And actually, because of their emphasis on security, they had multiple audits done. Um, they're backed by leading VCs, etc. And they had uh, how many? Six audits? Seven, right? Six. I've been told. Yeah. So, um, so this gave a lot of DeFi protocols um, the comfort to integrate with Euler, uh, which is why, as we'll go through the story, you'll see that you know it wasn't just Euler that was affected by the hack and the LPs and whatnot, but uh, also a lot of um, different uh, DeFi protocols, many of whom uh, their users may not even have realized that Euler was being used behind behind the scenes, you know. But anyway, coming back to the to the exploit. Uh, so Euler went through this big uh, overhaul, I think, about eight months ago, and during that overhaul, there was a function that was added uh, called donate to reserve. And this was actually quite an innocuous function with whose purpose was basically if you're closing your position on uh, Euler, you can use this. It was probably like a toggle or a tick box. You could say, okay, you know, let's, if they, like when you close complicated lending positions, you're always left with some dust, which are very small balances of the tokens that you're using. And yeah, so this function would basically say, all right, you know, just to clear the books on your account, you can donate this dust to uh, the protocol's reserve. And that was it. And no one actually ended up using this token, uh, this particular function, except uh, the Euler team, apparently. Um, so it was, it went under the radar and this uh, vulnerability was left open for eight months uh, before this uh, exploit actually happened. Um, so going through the exploit is quite complicated. We can just skip over it to say that there was a flash loan attack, uh, which allowed the hacker to basically, uh, drain each of the asset pools one by one. Um, and this resulted, uh, this came about because that particular function in question had, uh, did not check if, uh, the account that was using it would be adequately collateralized after 
doing the donation transaction. So basically, you could donate a ton of tokens without having your debt balance change, which is what led to the whole exploit in the first place. Um, yeah, so there was, um, I think it was DAI. Uh, the majority was in staked ETH uh, tokens, I think 140 million or so. And then some wrapped Bitcoin and USDC as well uh, was drained. And uh, yeah, coming to the fallout now, um, obviously, the Euler team is trying to do whatever they can. They've offered a $1 million bounty now to the public for any information that leads to the hacker's arrest. Uh, they're in touch with law enforcement and uh, pretty much doing whatever they can do to try and recover the money. Right, But uh, at this point, uh, uh, the hacker seems to have refused all the uh, attempts to make a deal. So we'll have to wait and see if uh, anything works out. Um, but yeah, a lot of protocols lost uh, a lot of money in this hack. So one of them was, I believe, Angle Protocol, which issues um, a euro peg stablecoin called uh, AG Euro. And they lost, I think, $17 million, which was half their TVL. So uh, they've had no choice but to pause minting and redemptions of their stablecoin, which is now uh, under collateralized by 50% or so. So I'm sure they're waiting as well to uh, and hoping for some sort of resolution or return of uh, at least a portion of the funds so that they can then get go ahead with the, you know, a plan to recover the peg or you know fix the token somehow. I think Alex spoke to a, another pro project as well, right? If you want to. Oh, you're you're on mute. I spoke to Angle Labs and to Mean Finance. Angle Labs being the Euro pegged stablecoin issuer, and Mean Finance, uh, a protocol that allows you to automate dollar cost averaging, right? The purchase of an asset to to, to limit exposure to volatility. Um, and they had differing takes on kind of what this says about the broader DeFi project, right? Because I was interested in this concept of composability, which is foundational to DeFi, that uh, idea that you just take, you know, one person builds a protocol that does this financial thing, one person builds a protocol that does another financial thing, and you can kind of just lock them together or stack them on top of each other to create like a top to bottom uh, financial service or or world or, or what have you. Um, it's it's what makes DeFi so exciting. It's 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 another one of those aspects though of crypto that's like a double-edged sword because I feel like there's so many things within the industry that like you know here's the thing that it does better than the old legacy financial system, but that thing also carries some risk with it. Composability does as well, and so you see these protocols. Like I think there were at least fourteen affected protocols, and they had users who didn't know that there was a, a Euler integration and some of them lost money because there was this backend integration and it's like, you know, each time you link uh, uh, another protocol, you're compounding risk because it just takes somebody to find the weakest point in that chain of technology to wreck everybody else. Um, and uh, the folks that I spoke to had 
differing opinions. Uh, one of them, he was a co-founder of Mean Finance, and and he was saying that it kind of shook him, right? Because not only did some of his users uh, lose their money, but he lost his money. He lost actually like quite a bit of his life savings in this. Now, uh, to be clear, uh, Mean Finance itself, I mean, that protocol worked exactly as intended. It wasn't exploited in any way itself. Only, I think, 5% of the total funds deposited there were routed through Euler. So the the impact there was limited. But I mean, he he lost quite a bit. And, and he was just, you know, we were chatting and he was like, composability obviously carries risk. We saw it here. I want to say that the solution is to give people choice, right? Like they were able to choose whether to deposit funds or to route the funds they deposited with us through Euler. They didn't have to do that. And and most chose not to, right? Only 5% of, of the deposits were lost there. Um, but that's not going to work. Cho- choice isn't going to work if we're trying to get the, you know, it's that, that phrase you hear so often in crypto, the next billion users. You can't just tell a billion people to do their own research. That's just not how the world works. They want, they, they just want whatever financial service they choose to work and they don't want to have to audit the code themselves. And in fact, and, and this was, this is almost a direct quote, but if, if a, if a company as good as Euler can't secure itself, if even they, with their six audits and all the money they spent on those audits, presumably hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, if they can't secure themselves, I mean, you know, how are you supposed to to get the average person to just do their own research and find the safe place to put their money? Um, on the flip side, spoke to one of the co-founders of Angle Labs and, and uh, as far as impacted protocols, I mean, they had it as bad as anybody else, right? Like half of the TVL is potentially lost due to this hack. Um, the the stablecoin that they issue is effectively unbacked and, and minting and burning of the stablecoin has been paused pending the investigation. Um, and he was like, look, this is just extra incentive to make this industry more secure. It's as simple as that. We need composability. If we're not pursuing that, what's the point of all this? Then we can just use traditional finance. Um, this is just a, you know, a reminder that we have to to really double down and focus on finding ways to make sure this doesn't happen again. And whether that's, whether that's even possible, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many hacks it takes, how many audits it takes, how much security research it takes to, to figure out a way to, to, to prevent these kind of hacks, which seem to happen every other week. But, um, but his faith in, in, in that notion was unshaken. So. Such an interesting debate um, on, you know, the core of it is the, the future of DeFi. Like, um, will DeFi be safe enough for the next billion users? What will it take to do that? Uh, what are the trade-offs? Like, uh, composability is such a core part of of the the benefits of what decentralized finance brings and does better than traditional finance just this idea of money legos being able to build in the open um and build more quickly because the the code is open source 
and you can just plug into things that others have already built instead of starting from scratch. Um, but then the flip side is uh, you, you're also carrying the, that risk. You're carrying the risk of all, all of the other Legos that you're using um, to, to build you know, this, this tower. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I agree that you cannot expect uh, just, you know, uh, everyday people, non-technical people to be auditing every single financial uh, service that, that they use. You know, you, you expect um, your, your bank to work. Uh, but I mean, we saw that in, in TradFi that doesn't happen uh, either, you know? Um, at least in, in DeFi, you're able to, um, to verify yourself or uh, have, you know, people who are technical be able to verify. Um, and maybe there's some mix of like um, credit score, like some sort of standardization of, of, of risk. Uh, that non-technical people can rely on that that we're missing, you know, something like uh, credit ratings in in TradFi. Uh, maybe we need a Moody's uh, for for DeFi to give like stamps of approval uh, for these protocols. We need better insurance systems as well. Uh, we do have uh, some kind of uh, uh, decentralized insurance, but it hasn't worked so well. Uh, yet so we need better systems um but yeah i mean i i definitely don't want to give up, up hope that this can be a, a safer more transparent and, and better financial system but i mean hacks like oilers or eulers uh, definitely prove that we're not there yet yeah uh i mean roughly 200 million was lost in this hack and Euler actually had insurance through Sherlock, the company that I believe was the last pair of eyes on the particular piece of code that was exploited. And the payout was, I mean, it was less than $5 million. I can't remember exactly how much it was, but it's like, yeah, DeFi insurance programs are, are far from where they would need to be for, for me as a user to feel like, okay, I'm good. I can trust this. You know, like if something bad happens, I mean, most of them, I mean, they're all, not they're all, most of them are trustworthy. You know, I, I don't, I don't think that they're the, any blue chip protocol like Euler is a, is, is a scam at all, but, but trusting just that there isn't some little, some little thing in the code that somebody could find like, yeah, in, insurance would go a long way to, to, to helping that. But I don't, I don't know of any, uh, crypto insurance business that that that's ready to to make people whole when you have these uh seven eight figure hacks i mean you it's amazing that oh go ahead my racing sorry um i mean you have protocols like nexus mutual and stuff where you can get insurance but of course they can't run they're not able to operate at scale so it's not like making 200 million whole it would be as an individual user, if you wanted insurance, you could have maybe bought some. I'm not sure if uh, Euler was covered or they had a policy for that. But generally, the, th the issue is scale, right? So most of the coverage is already all taken up. It's very hard to buy coverage at size. And there have been a lot of 
if not scams, then like disappointments in the insurance space as well. So we had cover protocol that very famously, uh, you know, imploded after the dev team walked away. Um, and um, a couple of others as uh, I will, what was the other one that was, I think it was called out as a scam or something happened. Was it armor maybe, or something like that? So yeah, like you said, the, the industry definitely has to mature and I mean, it's it's great to be able to use these different money Legos to structure a transaction or do what you want to do. Um, but yeah, safety with each additional smart contract comes that additional risk that there might just be a loophole in that particular one that an auditor missed, the team missed, everyone missed. And then that allows a malicious attacker to, you know, sneak his way in and then drain the whole protocol. So yeah uh the risk is definitely still outsized i mean i wouldn't i mean i'm the, the biggest proponent of DeFi to everyone but i still wouldn't tell my dad you know put your uh you know <laughs> savings account money into ave or something even though it's proven to be uh you know it has touchwood hasn't been exploited but uh you never know right it's all code at the end of the day and uh it as someone who doesn't understand the code myself, it's very hard for me to take a call and say, oh, you, you know what, this code looks safe to me, so. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say before that, it's pretty amazing to me that it's still the the um, OG DeFi protocols, you know, Aave, Compound, Uniswap, the ones that are like still unscathed and standing and haven't been hacked. Um, well that is the, amazing the, yeah like like the new iterations are i don't know if it's because they're adding more complexity taking on more risk but the ogs you know the first one to try uh, or at least the first one to like succeed in DeFi, remain there like the, the, are still kind of the safest let's not jinx it um i have a lot of money on uniswap knocking on wood <laughs> right now <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, we're running out of time, but let's let's wrap up with the last big story of the week: um, the uh, Ethereum Chapella upgrade. Um, Alex, you wanna walk us through this? Sure, and and just to I guess be quick about it, and, and also like I'm not a technical guy, so I can't really explain what exactly happened. But basically, they've been uh, they've been building this very uh, very important upgrade for Ethereum, right? So just a little bit of context, Ethereum, is, everybody listening to this probably knows, switched from proof of work to proof of stake last year, changing the way that it uh, orders and confirms transactions so that it would slash its energies by 99%. Um, proof of stake requires that users deposit 32 ETH in order to become one of the validators that contributes to the ordering and confirming of transactions. Uh, and, and, and there are a lot of proof of stake blockchains out of that right now. Uh, Solana is one of them. And in just about all of them, when you uh, put money in to become a validator, well, you can also take it out if you so choose, right? You're not locking your ETH up for, uh, for all time. Right now with Ethereum, you actually can't withdraw your stake. Uh, the, uh, the, the proof of stake engine that's running within Ethereum uh, went live back in December 2020 and has been running 
uh, was running in parallel with the actual Ethereum proof of work blockchain since then. So there are people who staked as far back as 2020 whose ETH has been locked in there. They can't withdraw it. They can't cash out. They can't use it in other DeFi protocols. Um, obviously, it's it's a really big deal uh, to to. To, to enable withdrawals. So the next big Ethereum upgrade, the last one was the merge when it switched to proof of stake. The next big one is called Shanghai. Uh, that was always planned to drop sometime in the spring of 2023. Uh, Ethereum's distributed group of developers has been working on this technology. They've been um, you know, testing it, uh, kind of uh, bulletproofing it. And some of those final steps happened earlier this week. And in fact, the, uh, uh, the development team has finally set uh, a, a specific day. And it's, it, it's not guaranteed that it's going to happen then, but they've settled on April 12th as the day that the Shanghai upgrade will go live. So um, for anybody out there who's staked their ether, um, that's pretty exciting news. Of course, if you want to withdraw, just a reminder that there's a there's a big exit queue, right? So you know, everybody who who staked who wants to withdraw won't be able to do so simultaneously all at once and then dump their their ether. They're they're going to have to kind of get in line, and and it's going to take a if if every single person who staked were to try and withdraw, it would take a very 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 long time to cycle through that entire list. I think the better part of a year if not more so um that's kind of the quick and dirty awesome and then um to just finish with the just the headlines of other uh, major uh, tech news uh, uniswap v3 launched on a bnb chain after months of infighting uh, apparently a16c wanted another to use uh, their own uh, protocol um uh, their like their bridge that they had invested in, um, but it didn't get their way. Um, the Worldcoin's uh, digital identity protocol uh, went live uh, this week. Uh, Owen, our uh, uh, staff reporter, uh, actually uh, tested and the this kind of famous orb and had his retina scan. So hopefully, you know, he's safe out there. No. Um, and then uh, uh, Filecoin launched uh, Ethereum compatible smart contracts and um, Meta uh, abandoned NFTs after less than a year. Um, that includes Instagram NFTs. Uh, so, um, you know, pretty crazy uh, how, how quickly that, uh, that, that failed. Uh, and I think those were the the other major news that we were um, that we were missing. But we ran out of time. Uh, there was a lot happening this week. Uh, main things were the fallout from uh, the the almost banking crisis in the U.S. Uh, stable coins uh, depegging, then repegging. Um, uh, Ethereum steps towards removing staking, the Euler 200 million hack, uh, and then the Arbitrum airdrop uh, were the main uh, highlights of this week. So thank you all for joining us and covering all these topics uh, and uh, come back next week on Friday. Like every Friday, we're here doing our weekly recap. Thanks again, everyone, for joining. <laughs>